And we are back with another episode of Ladies First. I'm Corey, and Elizabeth is back! Hi! Everybody missed me, I hope. <laughs> yeah, she's back Yay. just in time, because on Monday, the Supergirl season finale dropped. So I guess what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the finale of our favorite show. And kind of like an overall analysis of the season a little yep. bit. I'm sure a good Elizabeth chance... will have more of it as the summer goes on. <laughs> yeah, it's a good chance to kind of to get a good starting place for the beta articles that are going to come out after this. But we just sort of want to talk about what we thought worked, what didn't, and what we're hoping will continue into the next season. Because they basically, like, punched the reset button on the show. Yeah, they in did the a finale. soft series reboot. Yeah, and uh, I think it was probably the smartest thing they could have possibly done. I agree. I mean, let's give a little bit of context in case our viewers have been, you know, under a rock. Or out um, of the fandom. In season three this year, well, I guess fall 2017, um, it was revealed that Andrew J. Kreisman, the showrunner for Supergirl and also had his hands all over the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, had engaged in some not- so great behavior and was summarily dismissed and legends and the flash were kind of able to recoup but because he was so deeply involved in supergirl greg berlanti had to step in and they required a few extra weeks of hiatus to try and figure out where they were going to go from here so the fact, the fact he, that he was most involved in this show, and this is the one that got the soft reboot, is very telling. But also keep in mind that, you know, in the freaking middle of the season, the the showrunner was gone, and two people who were the executive kind of writers, like, under him, got promoted, and they got a chance to figure out what they wanted to do with the season. But that also meant, well, okay, we have to get from, here's what we want to do, but we're at point B, so how do we get to point Z to um, do where we well, want to do? We uh, we sort of made a beeline for it. We didn't didn't really have a sense of direction for a while there. Um, which my biggest criticism, if you've read my recaps, um, my biggest criticism of season three, especially the back half, has been the pacing, and I've given the disclaimer. In my recaps, I understand why the pacing is shit. Because they're trying to, like, they have, it's, it feels like they have a very clear idea of what they want to do with the show. But they were smacked out in the middle of the season and they had to figure out how to get all the pieces moved to where they could do what they wanted to do. So we kind of had to sacrifice a little bit the back half of season three to get to where we're going to have our soft reboot. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. I don't I, I don't disagree. Yeah. I um, think it's a fair critique. And again, like, my main issues are just with the pacing. There's a few other things I have a quibble with, but as far as the pacing goes for the back half of this season, it was just... <laughs> and I've, I've, I said this in my recaps, and I've told Elizabeth, Argo being discovered... Should could have easily been its own season arc. Um, I suspect, considering, I don't know, it just it didn't feel like it was that well set up at the beginning of the season. I just, I suspect that they did intend it to be a much longer arc, and that just didn't happen. Which is, to me, honestly, that's why that is still my one big gripe for this season. Is Carrot Carrot Kara's mom being revealed to still be alive? Should have been a series-changing bombshell. It and kind of kind got of lost. It kind of got lost in everything yeah. else. And that's I mean, I was, a big gripe. I was also distracted by the fact that Argo City looks like season one Star Trek sets, and it was very blatantly filmed at the Vancouver Aquarium. <laughs> well, you've been to the Vancouver Aquarium. No, it, it was just... Okay, so usually Supergirl's pretty good about disguising, like, if they have a normal set and they're trying to make it a little bit exotic or alien-esque but um i don't know i feel like 
Argo City screamed, we didn't think this through, or we didn't have time to give to, to do what we wanted. Because mm-hmm. it, like, it felt like there was more there, especially like in... Excuse me, like the city's design and then sort of like the interpersonal deb- the interpersonal conflicts while Kara was on Argo. Like, okay, there's actually like a lot here, but maybe they're going to go to that in next season. Well, I mean, I can't say too much because in season one, like I live in Los Angeles and in season one, when they were filming, blatantly filming Los Angeles, I remember I told you, Elizabeth, like, oh my <laughs> God, they're filming at the Citibank building and holy crap, there's... And I was just, like, going to town, like, holy crap, this is so blatantly <laughs> obvious Los Angeles. Every time I drive by downtown Los Angeles, I'm just like, I know this skyscape. <laughs> I know it very well. Um, so, I mean, I can't give them too much <laughs> crap for that. Um, it's a good it's a good set choice. Like, like it has, like, sort of, like, swoopy-looking buildings and stuff, so it wasn't, like, completely out of left field, but I just mm-hmm. thought that was funny. Um... I still, I really wish we could have gotten more time for that because the Allura and Kara reunion. I mean, Melissa Benoist is a fantastic actress. Erica Durant is a fantastic actress, and I really just wish we'd have had the space for those two to really work with that. And I felt like they didn't get the time that they needed. It felt rushed. Yeah, it did. I mean, they did the most with what they had. Like, I'm gonna say that the part where they have Kara, like, standing next to the tree that they planted when she was born, and now it's just as tall as she is. Like, I'm not gonna lie, that was a have-to-pause-the-show-to-cry-for-a-few-minutes moment. But it just, I don't know, I just, I felt like the rest of it just didn't punch as hard as it could've. And I think it's just because, like, we were too concerned with the fact that one of the evil Kryptonian witches was on the city council, and so we couldn't focus on, you know, we couldn't focus on the emotional part. We're like, wait, evil is afoot, Kara, you must stop it. Well, for me, like, Melissa Benoist's face, when she sees her mom and she goes to hug her. Oh, oh yeah. Was just gut-wrenching. But then the second later, she pulls back and she's already schooled herself and they're already talking about everything else. I'm like, no, let that play out. So that's my biggest point. Yeah. It's like you're not hurting for runtime, really. Um, and then also, I mean, there were a couple of other not so great things. Um, you know, purity and pestilence dying, and well, the I mean, I wrote about that episode. in one of my reviews where I had an issue with the implications of it. But I mean, it, it is was not great, what? but it, it it's done. <laughs> It's, um, the difference with sort of, like, it's not quite problematic, it's more, like, in poor taste or ill-conceived. Yeah. I don't think they set out to just, like, do something problematic. I just think it was written (laughs) and nobody thought until it was, like, after it was done, oh, wait, this does not look great. (laughs) Yeah. And then the gun episode. Yeah. Just, that, no no show needs to be doing a gun episode. That is too big of a topic to try and fit into a very special episode. I don't know why shows keep, any show keeps trying to do this unless its name is One Day at a Time and they're precious and my baby and you can't hurt them. Okay, so I actually, there's like, I'm kind of on the fence about this because I do like what the episode did for the narrative, which was close the, the narrative loophole that in this universe the DEO would use assault rifles. Like it doesn't make sense for them. It doesn't make sense for them to use that kind of deadly force. So because they're primarily a containment agency and a monitoring agency. So like, I like that they sort of address the fact that it's hypocritical of like Kara to work for an organization that also uses these high-powered rifles and this military-esque weaponry because that's not really what she's about. But like, I wish they didn't do it in this format. I wish it was just sort of a self-contained plot point where like. Within the DEO, they have this conversation. Okay, but also, like, some of the stuff they're trying to contain, like White Martians. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty in-depth conversation. <laughs> that it's also... Invasion. See, I just... To, to put it simply without... Weirdly enough, to put it simply without making it political, it just doesn't make sense that you would use human weapons against aliens when you have alien tech at your disposal that's much better than what we have. 
Like, that's really my main issue with it, has always been my issue with it, is it's like, look at, like, Alex's gun. You can't tell me that Wynn can't engineer a couple more of those things. And then he was started developing defense tech, so, like, this is sort of what the DEO should have already been, so I kind of like that they at least got there, but I just wish that they didn't have to waste time on a very special episode to do it. Right. But speaking of Wynn, he's gone. Uh. Well, he... Jeremy Jordan has been uh, bumped to a recurring character, and that was his choice. But he wants I to go also, back to Broadway, doesn't he? I, yeah, I think he wanted to do some Broadway stuff. He made an Instagram post saying, like, he loved working on the show, but his gut was just telling him it was time to start a new chapter. That's fine. So, like, he'll be back for some of season four. He's just not going to be a regular. And honestly, as I'm really okay with that narratively for his character. I think they wrapped it up because he made this request. Because, like, especially, you know, like, about the middle of the season, the episode where he almost dies, and he's explaining to James, basically, like... What have I done? Yeah, or no, he's explaining, like, basically, like, here's what I want to do with the rest of my life, and you're like, okay, so that's clearly how this season's going to end. Because he was basically like, you know, I could be the next Bill Gates, and I just feel like I'm not going to do that working here. Right, but at the same time, for his character, just narratively overall I think that was the best choice for him to be able to go off and do more because I think he had done everything he could do with the super friends I think I don't want to say they're holding him back that's not quite the right term for it but Wynn is in fact probably one of one of if not the smartest humans in this universe so yeah he should get the opportunity to go to the future and succeed even harder than he is already well, and I mean, that's part of the problem, is in season one, he wasn't Win the super genius. He was just a very, he was Win the very smart guy. Yeah, Win the, Win the tech support guy. Yeah, I mean, he was still very smart, but he wasn't he was- like Win the super genius. And then they just kept like elevating him and elevating him and elevating him. So by midway through season three, it's kind of like they ramped him up so much. It was either they were going to have to nerf him or let him go, <laughs> the character. I mean, let the character go do something else. Yeah, and there's also the issue that Lena and Wynn now op- they both occupy the same character archetype slot, and so to have them both in the show is actually kind of redundant. That and again, it's just the issue of the show is very careful not to let Kara be overpowered. Yes. And they also, like, they way toned down Jean Jones or Martian Manhunter's powers. Like, in the comics, he is insanely powerful. He was so, kind of op last season, too. But, I mean, so they've kind of toned them down. But they just really kept ramping up when the super genius, when the super genius. So, <clears throat> actually... Real quick, this is a good opportunity to address one of my pet peeves of critiques from people this season. Kara is not getting her ass kicked every single episode. Kara is having a moment where she's actually having an even fight in every episode. Yeah. yeah. They, they like, when people are like, oh, Kara is now helpless, I'm like, there, she's literally fighting someone who is her equal. She's not helpless, she's just, you know, being challenged. Right, and that's what I mean by, like, they go to great lengths so Kara... D- I keep saying Kara. Kara doesn't look overpowered, and the way they did that this season was they gave her equal opponents. And they also gave her personality flaws and character flaws, and a realistic depiction of PTSD in order to give her an actual arc where she starts sort of from a place at the bottom and then goes to the top. Because that's also kind of a problem with how the show started, is that there really wasn't somewhere for Kara to go. So... I mean, and I will say I do like how they carried Kara's arc throughout the season and how they ended it. Um, Wynn is leaving. Uh, let me wrap up Wynn. We'll get to Kara because I think that's going to be the big meat yeah. of this. Um, I'm okay with Wynn being gone. I think they wrapped up his character very nicely, especially because they kind of really made him op- overpowered. And like you said, um, he and Lena were occupying the same space. Yeah, because at I this point, really... go ahead. At this at this point, it doesn't make sense to not because Lena's been doing contract work with the DEO. What's probably going to happen at the beginning of next season is Lena will be become an official contractor of the DEO. 
Or is she sh- doing some shady stuff with the black kryptonite? Um, or that, or that, but we'll get to that. But they have Brainy, so, and, but Brainy offers new possibilities. So, anyways, wrapping up with Wynn, I enjoyed his character overall. I'm okay that he's leaving. It makes sense for his character to go on to bigger things. Yes. Now, Kara. Where she started at the beginning of the season to where she ended, where she was finally, she was at peace and had closure with Monel and had made peace with who she was as a person and on earth. And, you know, she didn't necessarily know all the answers, but she was okay with not knowing. I mm-hmm. thought it was huge. Yes. Yes. And that was one of the more successful things the season did. I like how they start they I like how they sort of resolved the the PTSD or not like resolved it but you know got her to the point where she was functioning again with the first arc of the season and then had her sort of work on more of identity issues in the second. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel like we were getting too bogged down in I guess the depressing content. It was important that they it was important that they included it but I'm glad that it wasn't the entire season cuz that would have been really tiring. It's right. like well, something something that has always really annoyed me about the companion shows Arrow and Flash is that when something like this is covered in those shows, it takes up the entire season and it's just so tedious to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't know that they're saying Kara's issues are completely resolved, but they're telling us and they showed us that she's <clears throat> in a better place now. It's closer to Kara has reached stability as opposed to Kara has been fixed because she's right. still Kara. The show's very careful about how it talks about these issues, which is one of the things that really should be a, excuse me should be applauded for. And I do really I don't think the show gets enough credit for yes, everything's fixed now. We're great. I mean, the show never explicitly says, "Okay, this is fixed." It is a very ongoing even with Alex's character arcs. It's this very ongoing narrative of them growing as people and gaining a form of stability or getting to a place where they're better equipped to deal with it but it's never completely fixed yeah or even like Alex and Kara having conversations like in the mid part of the season or in the back end where they're still bringing up the things that happened at the beginning of the season in the context of how they've grown and even mm-hmm. Alex pro- processing what happened with Maggie, and then later being open to the like expressing vulnerabilities that or insecurities she has about what if I actually screwed up the best thing that would ever happen to me? Because of course that's a thought that occurs to you when you've been single for six months, right? So I just the the good thing the the best thing the show does with these arcs is it doesn't just drop things; it always brings it back in some context, so you you get a good sense of characters' active progress in their own narrative. Honestly, it reminds me of Mr. Rogers, and I say this because I just watched his doc- the documentary "Won't You Be My Neighbor" a couple weeks yes. ago. Yes, and there was they had a clip from one of his episodes where Daniel the Tiger tells a uh, lady, uh, I forgot her name, Evelyn, I think. Yes, and he just straight up asks her, and he says, "I think I was a mistake," and they start this kind of duet where they're overlapping each other and he's singing about all of his insecurities and she's saying no you're good but what they pointed out and what I thought was really nice was Daniel Tiger they don't just say you're right everything's great he keeps singing about his insecurities are still there but they're at least showing an alternative of no you're not necessarily but it's still acknowledging that those insecurities are there and it kind of really reminds me of this ep- of this season, or really all of Supergirl, of they don't sweep that under the rug and just say it's fixed. But they don't say, you're right, let's wallow in it. The characters' moral compasses in this show are literally defined by their flaws and their trials. Alex is the person she is because she flunked out of med school. Kara is the person she is because she survived an incredibly traumatic event as a child. You know, John is the man he is because of everything that happened in bars. And the show never lets you forget that these are defining moments for these characters, but they do it in a way where they show you how the characters have grown from it. Speaking of John, 
I fucking bawled like a goddamn baby. Uh, oh, man. With his that was goodbye with Mern. That was hard to watch. And part of me is like, I, you, I'm so sad we lost Mern when Jean just got his father back, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad that they don't have to go through that long, drawn-out process. I like that they covered this topic, because it's not something I would expect to be covered in a show aimed at this particular audience. Although, the more that I thought about it, I was like, this is something that people who are, like, my age and a little bit older are going to start to go through. It is, like, a relevant topic. I'm going through it right now. One of my relatives... um, has dementia and like she just doesn't even recognize us anymore yeah so when i say this i say it it from a very personal place of i'm sad he's gone but i'm kind of glad he got to go out while he was still himself yes but also the fact that he went out saving his son's home and reminding his son he's like You've been so isolated, but the way of our people was compassion and to be among everybody else. And that's what Jean does at the end of the season. He's like, I've been hiding myself behind the DEO. Uh, I need to go out and be among people. Yes. And I thought that was just done so well. Of We take this man who's been hiding for centuries, and he's finally come to a place where he's ready to open up and embrace everything. See, and this is part this is part of the the super sort of the appeal of Supergirl to me is that it exists in this sort of fantastical universe where things like this do work out for the better. Mm-hmm. That like like here here's the thing the reason why I watch Supergirl is because they can have a shock shot where they kill off four characters in one scene and you know for a fact that something is going to happen to reverse this. Because Supergirl does not kill protagonists. And so I can safely watch this show and get fully invested in the drama without feeling like I'm going to have my entire fucking week ruined. Right. Because somebody, because they spun the wheel of shocking death and and my favorite character happened to be the one that the arrow landed on. It's almost always my favorite character. I mean, like, we knew Mern was going out. Yes. So for me personally... I mean, you know, your mileage may vary, but from where I am with my family member, you know, for me, I'm glad he got to choose his end while he was still himself and was able to choose. I also like the multi-generational aspect of it, that he got to know Kara and Alex as well. Yes. And I like the way I like the ways that John's relationship with his father also weaved into Kara's insecurities about her own identity and about living as a living as a human and living as a Kryptonian. Mm-hmm. But I also like, kind of love that Mern more or less adopted Alex as his granddaughter. <laughs> I love that. I thought they were great together. <laughs> I'm I'm sad we won't get to see more of that because Mern like really twigged onto the fact that like Alex is pretty much Jean's adopted daughter. End of story. Yeah. Like, Kara comes with the package, but, like, it's John and Alex. And, like, John is effectively Alex's father at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was going to walk her down the aisle. He was. And, yes, that feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, my God. And still, at the end of the season, when he realized he needed to go be among people for himself... He still told Alex, and this was one of Alex's arcs that she was struggling with the entire season of, you know, I'm 30-something. What is my life going to be? I want a family. I want this. I don't know that I can juggle both of these. And one of his last things before he steps down is to tell Alex, you can have it all. And I love that. Which, for those of you paying attention, was also a theme in the first season. I seem to recall that uh, that our another certain fan favorite character was very big on this concept. You you can have it all, but not right away. And you have to work at it. Yes. But you know, and they addressed one of Alex's fears was, I do want children. I would like a family, but I put my life on the line every day. I don't know that I. How can I have this when I'm always 
at the risk of dying. And I like how Jean was like, well, I'm going to make you director. You don't have to be out in the field every day now. It's also interesting because that was actually Maggie's explicit reason for why she didn't want kids is because she's a cop. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is also her child. Part of it is her upbringing, but that's not like her main reason. She's like, I'm a police officer and that's just not something that I'm comfortable with. And like, I like that that sort of brings back that parallel that while like, it's not necessarily saying that Maggie is wrong, but I like that Alex didn't let that color her decision. Right. But they also gave her a solution. The show didn't yes. make her choose. Exactly. The show didn't try to get drama out of it. It just handed her the solution. That's the like. The show is literally like a hundred percent wish fulfillment. That's like, why you I have love to it. Work to get it, but it'll give it to you. Exactly. This is a universe in which your boss notices that you're blacking out and missing work, and instead of firing you, immediately Builds you watches an entire secret lab. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like. Drops everything to t- retake over her company so you can have time off so your daughter- And then and then takes in your daughter when you feel you are no longer able to care for her so she's not- So she doesn't become a ward of the state or go back to her grandmother. Like, I mean... this is a world where sexism just doesn't exist. It's a world where Alex gets promoted to the head of the DEO. It's a world where- I mean, it's just, it's literally just, like, 100% wish fulfillment, and, like, there's no other show like it. My one big thing going into season four, that if they don't address this, I'm gonna be super fucking crabby, is Mm -hmm. James publicly came out as the Guardian. Yeah. He's the head of Catco. Yeah. I know he's dating Lena, but as far as, like, for journalistic integrity... He cannot be the head of CatCo. Um, he I, cannot. I bet you probably the beginning of his arc next season will be him stepping down and them trying to find a replacement. Uh, I Just for me personally, especially the fact that he was running all of those Guardian is so great articles. Yeah. I'm like, he cannot. He cannot. He cannot. He cannot stay the head of CatCo. I'm hopeful that with Alex stepping up as the uh, director, that they'll bring James in and he can kind of be out in the front lines as guardian. I. Th- it's clear that that's what he actually wants to do. So just let him do it. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a tidier solution. Of well, Alex needs somebody in the field. Here's James. Let's let him do that and work with Kara. But And it also opens up that we can actually get somebody back at CatCo now, because we know we're getting at least an assistant that's going to be talking with Kara a lot. So we know she's going to be back at CatCo in some capacity. Yeah. Which I am looking forward to, because I really need them to settle on something with her career. Other than just being Supergirl. Yes. I'm hoping... Something that cracks me up is it always felt like an inherent plot hole in these superhero type shows that, like, the government agency doesn't just give a stipend to the superhero, so they don't necessarily have to have, like, a backbreaking career. Well, to be fair, at least Supergirl addresses this because the DEO has tried to get her to work for them. That's true, yes. And she has said she doesn't want to be beholden to them. That's actually pretty fair. So that I get. My issue is back in season one when they were pretty heavily in with CatCo, there were a lot of more grounded issues they were able to explore with Kara and through journalism. And I'm excited for season four because they said they've said they want to get back to those more grounded stories. That's their plan. So I'm I hoping like that means CatCo, like you know, Lena does the smart thing and lets her boyfriend go and then hires an actual head of CatCo who can run it and work with Kara and we kind of get that mentorship again. Yeah, Lena herself needs to not be in charge of it. Lena needs to focus on, you know, she can go do whatever she wants to do with the Black Kryptonite. Give us, you know, a competent head of CatCo again who can kind of mentor Kara. Because what I really love that Supergirl did in the first season was Kara had a mentor to learn how to be a better hero, but she also had a mentor to learn how to be a more round, well-rounded person for her personal growth. 
Kara needs female role models. And she's kind of been lacking in them since Cat Grant left the show. So she has her mother back, but we probably could use, like, another professional role model. I I like that because I think that's part of why after Cat was gone, she kind of started spiraling and how do I have all of this was... Yeah, she's got Alex, but Alex doesn't have anything. Alex oh my God. has oh my God. less Al- figured out than she does. Alex is the last person you want to come to for life advice. Right. <laughs> Just saying. So Kara <laughs> really kind of lost that person she could go to for life advice. And I feel like if you look at it narratively, they spun a decent story out of that, that if you follow it over the seasons, you see the lack of what that impact had. Yeah. But I I really, really need them to get that type of character back in so we can start seeing Kara now progress since she's stabilized. Yes. Because, like, here's the thing. As much as I had, like, some issues with the fact that season three does sort of... The season three treads water. And I, I always have issues with shows that do this. On the other hand, I kind of can't see how they could have possibly transitioned into what I want the show to be without doing this. Because they right. had to address the incredibly awful, horrible, traumatic thing that happened to Kara at the end of season two. And then I'm glad that they were able to wrap up that whole story arc so well. And in fact, it's actually, they wrapped it up so well, I'm kind of sad that Chris Woods is leaving. I'm okay with him leaving, just because, like, the will-they-won't-they thing. Oh, I find that exhausting. I was, I basically, I wanted one of two things to happen. I wanted them to either just commit to having them together and just stop with the BS, or I needed him to leave. I could, I was like, I can't deal with this, like, on-again, off-again I'm okay with them leaving. Just because I think narratively for that character, like with Wynn, He's done. Yeah, he's done. He needed to go be his own hero. Stick a fork at him. He grew a beard of wisdom. He's done. Now, let's loop this back around to Brainiac. Oh, Not my favorite. his distant evil relative, one of Superman's greatest villains, Brainiac, but Carol Dox, or Coral Dox, Brainiac 5. Now, mm-hmm. canonically, and I've told you this before, he has been Supergirl's best and healthiest uh, relationship. And I have said on here you... before, Comic Kara has had, well, Comic Supergirl has had some supremely shitty relationships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, really bad. Monel is actually pretty tame, even at his absolute worst. Monel's actually probably like Monel never up. tried to sacrifice her to Satan. Yeah, Monel's actually pretty far up the list. Monel was never a horse. <laughs> yeah, that there's like got like self turned human and lied to Kara to have a relationship with her. Yeah, like I gotta be honest on the scale of like sacrificing her to Satan to lying about being the pre- prince of Daxum. Lying about being the prince of Daxum isn't actually all that bad. Um, but again, narratively, he's his own hero, and he and Kara really don't need each other. I like that they reconciled this in actual like explicit terms and actually fleshed it out in words. And Kara actually at one point called him out for every single thing that most people, including myself, did not like about their relationship last season in one gigantic rant. And he apologized for it. He owned up to it and he apologized. Exactly! That was the moment that I transitioned to really liking the character because instead of objecting, instead of doing what he usually does, he just said, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that was it. Because that's that's also when I realized he's grown beyond Kara. Yeah, at this point, they they are completely different people. Like, they just, they both have their own journeys, and they no longer par- coincide. I also like that Imra and him went their separate ways, because it's prob- it's very clear that it was a relationship of convenience, and while they did love each other, like, it's not quite right, and so I like that they were also mature about this. Like, yeah. this is really rare, that this is how things end, as opposed to, like, one person- them choosing one or the other. Personally, I hope when and Imra, you know, kind of realize maybe there's something there. Maybe she can be happy with Wynne, who knows. Um, <laughs> but, 
but let's go back to Brainy. He, Jesse Rath, the actor who plays him, has been promoted to a season regular. Yay! And again, in the comics, Carr's greatest, great love interest was Brainiac. And the director, the showrunners are being coy on whether that's going to happen or not. And I know some people who weren't happy with Mana leaving are like, oh, so great. Now she's going to have the blue smurf and they're going to try and do like, oh, autism stand in. I'm like, uh, let's stop. Like, if you're ready to fight. getting offensive. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you want to fight, we'll fight. Like, what's wrong with her having an autistic love interest? Autistic coded, because he's not actually human, and ergo cannot actually be autistic as our understanding of it. However, I don't really care about this, because he's literally one of the best representations of high-functioning autism I've ever seen on TV. My thing about that is, he's not super strong. So if you compare him to what we hold up as masculine ideals, he's not that kind of guy. And he's there are not... Her any type of guys in the DC shows that get the girl like that. Yeah. And I'm like, so what would, what exactly would be wrong? Because we already know he he has a lot of affection for Kara. Yes. And they communicate well. And they empathize with each other. Like, what exactly would be wrong with this relationship? I mean, so far they have a really <laughs> healthy foundation to build off of. I mean, you know, when you consider how canonically smart Kara is, especially in the comics, it would be refreshing for her to date somebody who could hold an intellectual conversation on her level. I mean, he's actually smarter than she is. Of course he is, but like, you know, Kara, Kara is... Having to not, dumb herself down. Yeah, she's not intellectually challenged by James or by Monel. Like, let's, I, I love James, but you know, he, her, they're on kind of, I don't know. Kara was doing, like, the level of physics that Alex was doing in college when she was, like, five. Yeah, and they showed in the show, uh, when they had that Midvale episode, that Kara was having to dumb herself down in school. Yeah, because it was highly suspicious that this rando 14 or 15-year-old girl was doing, like, graduate-level calculus. So, for me, I just... I don't understand why it feels like you have to give her somebody that's super masculine and that's the only way you could envision Kara having a love interest. There's also the argument that she should be with a woman, but at this point I think that's kind of a wash because, you know, I hate to admit it, guys, but Alex is in the show. It ain't gonna happen. I know. It's like we have a canonical lesbian, so I'm more excited about season four because they said they've said Alex is going to be getting back out into the dating world. So, I mean, I would rather watch the canonical lesbian wade out also, into the dating pool again. Also, it would be nice for the show to kind of keel to what the comic books do because, like, you know, that is the inspiration source, right? Speaking also, of. But Speaking also, of... really quick before we get there, I know what you're uh -huh. going to say. <laughs> I just think, from what we've seen of them, they're very sweet with each other. And one of my absolute favorite howling with laughter points from the finale was Kara making that Star Wars reference and Brainiac. I'm assuming that's a pop culture reference. In the middle of the world going to fucking hell. Not a single Star Wars? <laughs> She's like, we never showed you Star Wars? Not a single Star Wars? Uh, oh and I was my like, god. oh my god, that's season one car. That's my precious little golden retriever that I've missed you. And I was like, oh my god. The fact he brought that out of her, I don't know. I just really loved it. I was like, oh I mean, my god. I mean, I ship it. I do. I, I shipped it since the episode where he had to go into her brain. That was just really sweet and nice and just empathetic overall. Yes. Is a I think they've episode. got a really good foundation. I hope the show goes there because I don't. If the, if Win is being written off, I don't think Brainy's going to be able to go back to the future. So let them settle down, you know, figure themselves out. We'll see what happens. Now let's get to what Elizabeth is excited about. <laughs> you were more excited than I was, but I am excited because this is one of the few Superman comics that I've actually read. Okay, I when I, I got to see the the episode before Elizabeth did. 
And I started spamming her on Google Chat, like, all caps, oh my god, 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 oh my god. So, I was in, I was in Canada this weekend, visiting my girlfriend at dinner, and she's like, also my phone just starts going off, and I was just like, what is it? And it was just like, oh, so I was like, like, but like, I was like, we have to figure out how to watch the show in And we uh we have to figure out how to watch the show in Canada. <laughs> That's right, you guys didn't have it up there. I remember you telling me like, no, Lisa's got the internet. <laughs> yeah, no, it was cause like it's cause they they didn't have the right cable and I was just like, Oh, but it doesn't go up until midnight, I'm like, but I don't want to stay up until midnight. We did find a way. It, it was okay. very exciting. I know there's been a lot of um confusion over what that was. The season finale, obviously, Kara grabbed a hold of the Black Kryptonite 2, and it kind of split her apart, and kind of like a blank slate version of her landed in Siberia, and she was discovered by Russian soldiers at the very end of the season. And I know some people have been like, oh, are they doing Power Girl, or oh, is this the new 52 where she lands in Russia and they shoot her and it all goes to hell. And then some people are saying, are they doing Kara Starovsky? And I'll, uh, I'm sure, Elizabeth, uh, you don't actually know what Kara Starovsky is. Uh, I do not. Okay, it's from an alternate universe called Bombshells, where Kara oh. is gay and Lois Lane is gay for her. And they basically are in-game in that one, like one-off alternate universe. I mean, that would be great, but... But that's not what we're getting. Um, no. They actually, the showrunners clarified, they're adapting Red Sun. Yay! Uh, Red Sun was a 2003 uh, little mini-run story by Mark Miller. It was an Eisner Award uh, nominee. One of the better, in my opinion, Superman stories they've told. And Elizabeth, you were telling me you thought it was a, an exciting way to make some commentary on collectivism. Okay, so specifically, number one, the reason why I've read Red Sun is because I used to be pretty vocal about how much I didn't like Superman at my last job. So one of my coworkers is a huge Superman fan, and he was like, you need to read this. He's like, this is awesome, because I said that I'd never read a, I would never find a Superman story that I'd like, and I was wrong. I really liked Red Sun. But the reason why I like Red Sun, or at least what we could do with it now, is... Okay, so what I'm hoping the show will do with it is that they'll use this to critique Kryptonian culture. I'm but, hoping um, they use it more to... Like, if we can bring Allura back in. Because yes. I'm hoping we get just, like, straight-up Kryptonian Kara meets Russia meets I Fight for Them now. Yeah. And we get Alora to, at some point, we get her for at least some kind of arc where we really delve into Kryptonian culture. Yes, because, like, okay, so a big, something that I, I like about, it, like, when, hold on. So with, with Krypton, the approach I like to Krypton is when they're critiquing their, their need for... Their need for ideological superiority, but also, like, they, they will literally, like, stand around arguing until the planet burns down around them. <laughs> like, the, the problem, the problem is, is that the, that every, the, the problem is that everybody being, air quotes, equal, and everybody getting an air quotes equal say is actually more important than solving the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a, I'm hoping we get this contrast, because Kara is Kryptonian. She is far more Kryptonian than Superman. Yes. But she also grew up maybe not necessarily in the heart of Americana like Clark did, but she also grew up on Earth during her teenage years okay, in but the United spe States. Specifically, specifically, Kara grew up in California. California has a very specifically individualistic culture, and you can see that one of the core conflicts in Kara's personality is 
her human sort of her human side of culture is her wanting to live her own life and do her own thing and sort of have that identity and this actually conflicts with her kryptonian upbringing because individualism isn't encouraged in that society now i need people to understand because i've already seen a lot of people on tumblr going kami kara i'm like don't, I don't say that no that's what they're saying Aww. I'm like, I don't think you guys completely understand what Red Superman was. He wasn't necessarily a villain. He thought he was doing what was right for his people. And what I'm really hopeful that they do when they adapt this is they don't make, you know, the split version of Kara just this wholesale villain. She is doing what she thinks is best for her quote-unquote adoptive people. Of, you know, where if she they, is now. No, you're right. If they adapt it to be, like, a good and evil version of Kara, then it means that the people who adapted this, they, um... They... They don't understand what the point of Red Sun was, which would be really, really frustrating. I'm hopeful or not, because they've talked about how they want to do more grounded episodes and get back to talking about more real-world issues. Which, yes. when Supergirl does that, they're normally very good, that gun episode aside. Yes. So I'm hoping they're using that as a vehicle to touch on some more real-world stuff. And, you know, looking at Kara's not, you know, Russian Kara is not necessarily bad, but she identifies with a different group of people who have a different culture and a different way of thinking. That conflicts with Americana Cara. Specifically yes. California Americana Cara. Yes. I like culture conflict, but I don't want the show to necessarily get bogged completely down in Krypton. So this is right. a way of still this is a way of sort of you have the primary conflict in Kara's life is still a bit of how she reconciles the culture she was born into versus the culture she was raised in. And then creating sort of a microcosm of that same debate within and then also discussing, like, the ways in which Kara could have potentially been influenced depending on where she was raised. And that actually brings up an interesting conversation about what is it about Kara that actually defines her as opposed to what is malleable. Well, and the thing about the Superman Red Sun was Clark, you know, from Russia, genuinely wanted the best for people, but he thought to, in order to do that, he had to rule them. I can see how he came to that conclusion, to be completely um, honest. And, you know, and he <laughs> ruled with Wonder Woman, and there was this whole thing, obviously, they're not going to adapt that. But he thought, in order for people to be at their best, he needed to sort of guide them, I guess, and, you know, enforce that. So it's a spinoff of, like, I know a lot of people really did not like Nazi Kara, who landed in the Third Reich, and I've seen some people like, oh, it's just going to be Nazi Kara again. Like, it's not going to be Nazi Kara, but they're going to look at, you know, what does make Kara Kara, and also how you could see, especially with her Kryptonian roots being played out of, I need to do what's best for these people, with a culture maybe... That's not quite so California, rugged, you know, you can go your own way. It's interesting because Kara actually, because Kara is exceptional, but because she wants to fit in, she actually pushes back against that exceptionalism, mm -hmm. which kind of implies that she doesn't want to stand out, which makes, an, it, that's an interesting setup for how she would have evolved in a collectivist society, because that's actually closer, seems to be closer to what her personality was when she arrived on Earth. Right, so I just, I think it could be a very interesting confrontation where you have two Karas that, in their own way, they want what's best for Earth, but they are diametrically opposed as to how they go about that. Yes. It's not Nazi Kara. They're not, you know, trying to take over the world. It's, they have very different worldviews on how we can help people. Yes. Especially since it's set in it's set in the modern era, it's not like right. a historical, a historical. So there's probably like, a lot more nuance. I liked Nazi. I I like Eric Quartz liked liked Nazi Kara because I liked how it. I like how they took Kryptonian ideals and expressed how that can be corrupted. Because I right. feel like 
that is something that I, I like that this show never loses sight of the reasons why Krypton fell, and it, it they use that to inform Kara's character and how she wants to do better. Right. The show is very honest with itself about the flaws of Krypton, and I like that a lot. I like how they're honest about the flaws of Krypton, but they're not like Krypton, the sci-fi show, where it's just this dystopian nightmare. Oh no! That's like Krypton, never been my favorite interpretation of Krypton. I, 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 my favorite is what Supergirl does. I like that Supergirl makes it seem like it was basically bureaucracy gone wrong, which, in my opinion, feels like the most realistic explanation for how they could end up letting the planet get destroyed, despite right. all of their tech. It's that they literally argued themselves to death. Right. But. Anyways, they're adapting Red Sun. I'm really happy about that. I want to swing back around to Alex a little bit. Alex got so much this season. (laughs) And I see a lot of critiques saying Alex got sidelined, and I really don't think she did. I felt Alex was more the protagonist this season than Kara was in a lot of ways. Okay, just just because Alex was taking care of Ruby for part of the season, that is not the same thing as being sidelined. Alex was fighting. Alex was, you know, being a guardian. Alex was engaged and then single. At, like, she had a very busy season. Alex, uh, kind of what I know Alex is worrying, like, how am I going to be a mother and also do this job? And I'm like, you've been taking care of Ruby for months. How do you still doubt yourself? My, my poor insecure fave. <laughs> But also, and I want to <laughs> shut this shit down. Like, this this honestly pisses me off, and I've seen some of this. Oh my god, they made her and reduced her to wanting a baby. I was like, okay, not everybody wants a kid. I don't want a fucking kid. That's okay. But don't But some people do. Like, nobody wants a kid. That's not everybody else's experience. And I get really tired of just automatically assuming this kind of bad faith thing that somebody wants a fucking family. It's also that, like, if you think that every gay person doesn't want children, think about, like, the living situations and the, like, individual situations of your immediate group of friends. Also, the fact that you do not want children. Probably your friends don't want children. That's part of why you guys are friends. Like, consider that you may have a sampling error when you say no gay people would want to have children, especially, like, that Alex might want to have a baby on her own. Okay, Alex is 30 or close to it. If she wants to do this, time is a wasting. And it's not like she's some, like, fresh, you know, doe-eyed child right out of college. She's a grown woman, and she's the head of the DEO. If she wants to have a child on her own, Godspeed, woman. Yeah, I just, I don't like this weird policing where suddenly having a kid is bad. Or that, not, you necessi- or that you need a partner to have a kid. That's not a requirement right. either. The show's not reducing her to just wanting a baby. They're showing that Alex has reached a stage of her life where she's looking at, what is the rest of my life going to be like? What do I want out of this? Okay, this is what I really want out of my life. I need to get started on this now, or I might be too late. Exactly, and you look at somebody like Kara or like Lena, and like there's the see that's the thing I love about the show is there's so many different types of women that like you can't even really critique one for wanting a specific thing because if you don't like that, well, there's three or four other characters to pick from. Like Lena, Lena is not having children anytime soon, if ever. Kara is. Kara, well, honestly, Kara is going to bring her own set of complications because we know Ruby is somehow half Kryptonian. But I don't know if that actually manifested because, you know, when Sam had Ruby, like, she wasn't actually manifesting as Kryptonian. She was only human. So, Ruby... Oh my god. <laughs> Corey, thinking about that is literally making my head hurt right now. Well, I mean, as far as that goes, when she had Ruby, she was only manifesting, like, all of her blood work, everything was just human. So I'm assuming yeah. Ruby got the human part. Kara is completely, utterly, will never manifest, will never hide as anything but Kryptonian, unless she's exposed to gold kryptonite, and now I'm going off into the weeds. Let's, let me back it up. She has never been anything but Kryptonian. 
I was going to so, say, it's comic books. Technically, anything is possible. It just yeah. depends on, like, what you, well, no, what you want to happen. Well, no, in the comic books, though, when, you know, Superman does have a son now, and there was this whole big thing about him being half Kryptonian, and, like, he was sick for a while, so I'm like, like, Kara is her own special bag of what the fuck is going to happen if I do this. Maybe she should just adopt. Although, well, also, like... There's Argo City. There are other Kryptonians. So, like, if Kara ever wanted to settle down and have a family, in theory, she could. <laughs> right. If she wants to settle down with Brainy and they figure something out, good for them. I, I mean, it's a 12th level intellect. I'm sure he could yeah, come I'm up sure with something. Yeah, I'm sure between the two of them, they could figure something out if they decide they want Spawn. <laughs> um, exactly. I love I just called them Spawn. Uh <laughs> Can you tell that Corey and I just are so affectionate about children? No, actually, that's not fair. I like children, and in fact, children really like me. I just don't want my own. Yeah, I... I I like my nephew and my niece. Um, I am not as thrilled about children, but see, here's the thing. I don't... I viscerally do not want kids. And even I am like, why are you nagging on Alex for wanting a kid? I am too selfish of a person to have children. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Alex is definitely not a selfish person, and like, she, it's very, it's not like she's, it's not like this is something that she just decided on a whim. Like, mm-hmm. there's months have passed in the season, and she's been taking care of Ruby, she's been bowling this over, she's been talking to John about it, she's been talking to Kara about it, like, this is an informed decision she's making, it's not out of the blue. Right. Also, like, if you don't know, like, fertility processes and adoption processes take a long time, they can sometimes take years, so... This is not like she's going to have a baby tomorrow, you know? It's going to she's going to still have to work through some process. And also again, she's they've explicitly they've explicitly said she's getting back into the dating pool next season. I am so excited for this because I really hope I okay. Supergirl writers, you need to bring in some queer women to give you horrifying dating stories because like the opportunity for comedy is just so perfect here you are so me <laughs> no but like can you imagine like they would literally like i just i really want to have this particular aspect of our culture in a show like this because alex is so awkward and she's just the perfect character to make fun of this with i i I don't know that I want her to have to deal with that too much. I think, I think for me, it's the was it friendship, the secondhand huh? embarrassment would just be too much. Oh yeah. Well, it depends. No, what I, I'm not talking about like the like the secondhand embarrassment. It's more like bad, just specifically like there's certain types of bad dates that are like specific to queer women. Oh, I know what you're talking about. But yeah, I'm you know exactly just... what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm like, I can maybe handle one of those. I don't I don't need to see those kind of flashbacks and have those memories brought back up where I'm suddenly in a self-shame spiral. You know, like, I can only handle so much. No, I, I hope that Kara is an active participant in this dating process. Uh, because this gave me, like... Now I'm just like, no, I want Kara there, and I want Brainy observing, trying to figure out lesbian culture. Yes, I want Brainy sitting at a table with Alex and a date and Kara, and just kind of observing and trying to learn what he can about human human courtship from this interaction. I know, I'm just like, suddenly I need to see Brainy being introduced to lesbian subculture, and how all of that would work because it queer women dating culture i should even say like wlw dating culture is a lot and it is very different from straight dating yeah we have we have a lot of rules yeah i mean you kind of see it on the bold type and i'm not gonna get into that show because we're running out of time but i would love for supergirl just to like have somebody like brainy who is such an outsider sit and see that and try to make any kind of sense because the rules we have for dating are 
Like, what? what's the word? <laughs> Gordian, it's like a Gordian fucking knot. They're... The problem is, is the rules are sort of ambiguous, and there's really no way to, like, tell somebody all the rules. You just have to sort of, like, learn them yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of life is like this, but... Yeah. No, I just, like... I just, like, because Brainy is coded as autistic, I like the way that the show writes his misunderstanding of things, because they actually get, like, the nuance of it right. So there's a lot of potential to have genuinely funny moments come from this dynamic. Yeah. Anyways, we've already breezed through an hour. Oh, yeah. Yes, we did. You're going to have so much to write about. <laughs> I, okay, yeah. So I'm going to start re-watching the season this week. Because I'm going to be honest, at this point I can barely remember what happened at the beginning of it. <laughs> but, yes, so there's a lot to write about. And there will be a lot more to write about once the, se- the next season starts. Look forward to Elizabethan analysis. This summer. I need to make I need to make a header image for that. <laughs> That's actually really good. That's really good. <laughs> but we're at our time now, so thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next time. Don't forget to check out um, our other podcasts: The Fundamentalists, Unabashed Book Snobbery, and uh, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. And don't forget to like and review us on iTunes. And that's it. Goodbye. We love you. <laughs> Goodbye.